0: Well, do you admire Jesus or do you follow Jesus? In August 2003, the New York Times reported an unusual theft from the Church of the Holy Cross in Midtown Manhattan. Overnight, thieves had broken into the church and they had taken a 200-pound statue of Jesus from the cross to which It was fastened. It was a a four-foot statue. It had a steel core, and it had been bolted to the cross with four steel bolts. But the thieves only took the statue of Jesus. They left behind the cross. The thieves wanted Jesus without the cross, Perhaps we sometimes want Jesus without the cross. But the inconvenient truth of Scripture is that all roads lead to the cross. And in this passage that we've just heard read, Peter has a revelation of Jesus' true identity as the Christ of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. And then just after this passage, James and Peter and John, they go up a mountain with Jesus and they see Jesus speaking to Elijah and Moses in what's called the Transfiguration. They see Jesus transfigured in glory. But between Peter's revelation of who Jesus is and his seeing Jesus in glory come these words if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me you can't have a full revelation of jesus you can't have a full revelation of who jesus is unless you meet him at the cross i remember my Wife, Jen, and I planning our wedding day. We were sitting in a pub with Jen's parents, and we were sharing the list of hymns and songs that we wanted on our wedding day, and uh, we listed one before the throne of God above. And Jen's mum, bless her, quick as a whistle, just obviously clocked the words of that song, one with himself, I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood and she shrieked no no not the blood of jesus that's an easter hymn not on a wedding day <laughs> but the thing is a puppy isn't just for christmas it's for life and the cross isn't just for easter it's for every day of the week and luke who writes this gospel records something which the other two gospel writers who, who describe the same passage miss. Luke is scrupulous in recording what Jesus said. And so to Jesus' take up his cross, Luke adds daily, daily, a word missed in the other gospel. And we also need to note that Jesus begins this key sentence with an if And if, it's a tiny two-letter word in the Greek. It's E-I, pronounced A. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He doesn't command us. It's not a command. He invites us. He's so kind. If you want to come after me, and follow me, if you want to be with me, if you want to be at my side, then deny yourself and take up your cross and come. And on that two-letter word, if, hangs all the difference between a life of spiritual glory and a life of spiritual inertia. Jesus looks into our eyes with love and he says, Follow me. Follow me just like this. And the first dimension of taking up our cross involves our learning from Jesus about loving. This is how Jesus teaches you and I to love. We follow Jesus' teaching, but we also follow what he did in his ministry. We follow both things if we're a faithful disciple of Jesus. And Jesus' cross bearing is the greatest expression of his love. Jesus pinned to the cross like a butterfly is the most extraordinary picture of love the world has ever known. We meet the love of Jesus at the cross. He's already engraved your name on the palms of his hand. He's already collected your tears in a bottle. He loves you with an everlasting love. But now he puts further actions to his words. In the Song of Songs, Jesus, the bridegroom, cries out to us, his beloved, his church, I will climb the palm tree, I will take hold of its fruit. And St. John says this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love the way that the early church father, St. Augustine, describes Jesus' love. He says, like a bridegroom... Christ went forth from his nuptial chamber and he came even to the marriage bed of the cross. And there ascending it, he consummated a marriage. Get that. The cross is Jesus' marriage bed with us. It's where we discover the extent and the depth and the breadth of his love for us. It's where he joins in union with us. He loves us there to the point of death. And it's where he lets you know your great worth in his eyes. It's where he lets you know how dearly he values your truest self. If there's anyone here tonight who's in danger of feeling unworthy, hear these words of Jesus. Hear what he's done for you at the cross. You are of infinite worth to him. And so when we take up our cross, it's not something that we do primarily out of obedience, and we certainly don't do it out of duty. It's a love response to the love of that he's poured out on us. Love is central to Jesus' teaching and ministry. But love is a choice. Love isn't easy. True love is really hard. Love is not a honeymoon, or not just a honeymoon. Love is the long years after. Love involves heartbreak. Love involves sacrifice. Think of parental love. There's a real sacrificial dimension to a parent's love. We have to let our children find their freedom. We have to let them go. And in Mark 10, a young man runs up to Jesus and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he cries, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And you'll remember, he's came at, kept all the commandments of the Old Testament since he was a boy. And Mark writes this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he tells the young man that he lacks only one thing. He needs to <laughs> sell everything he has and give to the poor, gaining treasure in heaven. And then he says, come, follow me. And Mark records that this, the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus loved this young man, but in his love, he let him go. And that must have hurt Jesus deeply. But he was always having to let people go. He had to let the disciples go in the Garden of Gethsemane. He loved them even to the point of their abandoning him. He chose love every stage of the way. And it wounded him. It wounded him. And his life mission to love comes at an absolute cost. In the upper room, breaking bread like we did earlier, he tells his disciples, this is my body, which is given for you, and then 24 hours later, on the cross, physically, literally, he enacts that. The cross will destroy every fantasy that we have about love. Biblically, love is beautiful. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Song of Songs, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away, but love is costly. True love is prepared to shoulder the cross, to be nailed to the cross for the sake of the loved one. And we don't learn true love by reading a book or watching a romantic movie, or even, Jesus suggests, by hanging around with him. No. We have to take up our cross and we have to take it up daily. We learn true love in spiritual boot camp one day at a time. I remember when I first learned about needing to take up my cross, it was actually about five months before I became a Christian. And I think the Holy Spirit must have already been working in me because I'd been a theatre director for years, I'd been constantly on the road, on tour, and as you can imagine, that's not conducive to maintaining an intimate relationship with somebody else. And there had been definite moments of motorway pile-up during my career as a director. And as another intimate relationship ended one day, I just remember saying, I'm not sure I know how to love properly. I'm just not sure I know how to love properly. And if I did once, I think I've forgotten. And so without knowing what taking up your cross was, I decided to take up my cross. I decided no more casual relationships, no more wrong thinking, no more wrong looking. I was desperate for true love. And I made a vow that I wouldn't enter another relationship until I met the woman who I believed I was going to marry and be with for the rest of my life. And for five months, I mourned all my past relationship failures. And I renounced every false, distorted form of love in my life. And I clung to the ship's mast of true love, I just clung to it, and it worked, only I didn't yet feel hope. In fact, I thought of changing job at that time and becoming an undertaker. I was spending so much time putting myself in the grave, I thought, why not do it for other people? But the trouble was I'd taken up my cross without knowing Jesus. And without Jesus, the cross only spells death. It'll never lead you to new life. You only get to new life through Jesus on the cross. And that came about when I went to Alpha and I heard the gospel and I met Jesus at the cross. Because with Jesus on the cross, new life flows from the cross. We can access it. And when we meet God's grace there and we're filled with his spirit, it's no longer just about burying our old life. It's not about what we're turning from. It's about who we're turning to. At the cross before Jesus, we die to self-love and we discover how to give ourselves away. The cross by itself is terminal. The cross plus Jesus equals resurrection. It's the how-to of love. Now, maybe you, may, you think tonight, I'm, I'm carrying my cross, Mark. I'm, frankly, I've been carrying it for quite a while, and uh, I'm shouldering it. It's pretty heavy, and uh, I'm not seeing a lot of favor from God. You know, it's not quite adding up. And this, of course, is the voice of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother thinks he's following the way of love. He thinks he's staying close to the love of the father. But actually, love for him has just become transactional. It's a way of earning the father's favor. It's an ought or a should. It's It's not a willing response to the self-giving love of God. And this is not the spirit of true sacrifice. This is a martyr complex. I work for you, so I deserve. This way, love will always feel like a bad bargain. Bad bargain. And if this is you tonight, I beg you, I beg you, come back to the Father's love which is grace. The Father calls you into a love relationship and a romance. He he doesn't call you to an assault course and gritted teeth. Only Jesus shows us truly how to love. And then a second dimension of taking up our cross and learning from Jesus is learning how to die and rise, learning how to bury our old man or woman so that we can rise to new life. St. Paul says in Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And earlier in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. At the cross before Jesus' love, we realize our great worthiness, at the cross, before Jesus' holiness, we realize our great sinfulness. And Martin Luther says, following Scripture, we're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says we carry the nails of Jesus in our pockets. We all stand in the crowd at the cross. It's our sins that have put him there. We have crucified God. And when we take up our cross knowing this, we, we do so to deny the old self, the old man or woman, to deny them. We remind ourselves we're always sa- sinners saved by grace. And as we carry our cross, we can look over our shoulder. And who do we see on the cross? Our old man or our old woman. And that's good to know. We've left them behind but we're not forgetting them either. And then we can nail to that cross that we're carrying any further patterns of our fallen selves, and we can drive the nails in hard. So impatience with my kids, bang, walk in the opposite spirit. Grumpiness to do with my elbow injury, bang, walk in the opposite spirit crossness about my to-do list, bang, walk in the opposite spirit. This is the Christian life. And part of the older brother's problem is is that he, he knows he's shouldering a cross. It's just that he doesn't think there's any of him upon it. By contrast, the writer Terry Eagleton says this, the New Testament is a brutal destroyer of human illusions. If you follow Jesus and don't end up dead, it appears you've got some explaining to do. If we follow Jesus, there should be some blood on the floor. But this is also the way to life and to life in all its fullness. It's not hard, hard, hard because we carry our cross because we believe in the resurrection. Without the resurrection, our faith is futile. But with it, With it, anything is possible. And we discover in the Christian life that the more we die to, the more we rise to. It's amazing. We submit to the joy set before us, just as Jesus did. If you want to see a word picture of how this plays out in people's lives, then you could read C.S. Lewis's novel, The Great Divorce. There's an amazing sequence in it where... In heaven, this ghostly figure meets a tall angel. And the ghostly figure, he's got a lizard, a little lizard on his shoulder. And this lizard is his lust. And the tall angel wants to kill the lizard. And the ghost doesn't really like this idea. And the lizard whispers to the ghost and says, don't let him, don't let him, don't let him kill me. And the lizard justifies himself why he's important to the ghost's life. But eventually, the ghost, despite being scared of letting this part of himself go, submits, and the angel makes this mighty blow. Bang! And the lizard withers, and then out of the debris rises this golden youth, and out of the remains of the lizard comes this silvery white horse, and the youth jumps onto the horse and rides off to the mountain of God. All the creative energy misdirected through that lust is spiritually transformed. And I've seen this kind of change happening in the lives of people that I've pastored again and again and again. You see it the whole time in recovery groups. And we're just a big recovery group here at St. Aldates. So do you see now, Jesus' words to take up your cross daily, they're not the unfortunate catch to our faith. This isn't the small print. This is the life-transforming power of the gospel. Now, let's just step back a minute, though, because, you know, there are limits, and we're all human. We all have habits and patterns of behavior, we know this, that are less than ideal. And frankly, sometimes they just seem to be the way we're made. Part of our makeup, how we're wired. Someone cuts up your car, you swear. They cut up your car again, and your anger begins to boil into rage. Or you pass someone begging in the street and actually they look rather well-fed. And you judge them. Or you resent a colleague's promotion and you don't consider it envy. It's, It's about feeling that you deserve better. Or you're around the water cooler at work and some colleagues are gossiping and it's hard to pull away and anyway you've had a tough day and the gossip, Gossip is entertaining. Is there anything so wrong in that? Well, if this is us, we're in good company. Listen to these words from a key spiritual work published in 1979. And the author describes having a relationship with this God who is everything to me. And then they go on to imagine a person arriving in heaven and meeting St. Peter. And St. Peter says to that person... You shouldn't have lived like that, but you were driven by that machine of your body that caused you to do these things. I understand. The person I'm judging has been saddled with a body which does certain things and is part of fallen humanity. And we all know this. I've got a short fuse. I can't control my thoughts. It's how I'm made. It's the drives. God's given me. My neurons made me do it. Lord, you've saddled me with me. Well, if your radar is sounding by now, congratulations. Because this book I read from is God'll Fix It, and the author, Jimmy Savile. And we all know that story. You see, Jesus doesn't tell me to call the drives within me just how I'm wired. He tells me to call them sin. He wants me to turn from them and to know the beautiful righteousness that he confers upon me. He he wants me to be dressed in white linen, with my sins made white as snow. So we need to regularly nail our sins to the cross. As the Irish writer Sean O'Casey said, all the world's a stage and most of us are Desperately unrehearsed. And so we've got to practice this and practice it daily. And the cost, if we don't, if we've got used to living with the little lizard on our shoulder or accepting sin as part of our natural makeup, we just remain mired in ourself. Self, self, self. Like Luther said, curved in on ourself. Unavailable to love, unavailable for life. And to us, Jesus says, Come and follow me, and I'll give you new life. I'll make you a new creation. And then, thirdly, and more briefly, the third dimension of taking up our cross is learning from Jesus about suffering. Now, I don't know about you, I have an aversion to pain and suffering. I just hate it. But Jesus counsels me how to bear suffering and how not to (laughs) impose it upon others. Listen to where St. Paul got to on this point. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, Galatians 6. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, Colossians 1. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 2 Corinthians 4. Suffering is an unavoidable part of the human condition. We do not live in a pain free world. God doesn't want us to suffer, we will all suffer. And the only question is whether we accept or we reject our suffering. As Jesus briefs his disciples in this scene, he, he knows they're about to experience increased suffering as a result of their faith. And, oh, how we pray for the persecuted church and our brothers and sisters there and seek to learn from them about bearing suffering. But suffering, of course, can come in many ways. Other forms, many other forms. The only thing certain is it's unlikely to come as the kind of cross that you'd prefer. It'll generally come as something else. And always, in relation to our response, there is rejected suffering and there's accepted suffering. Reject suffering and we'll probably grow resentful and bitter. You may even start to offload it on others. Now, suffering of itself is not going to grow us, but accepted suffering does grow us. It's not that we're called pathologically to go around seeking suffering. No, that would be very unhealthy. But when it comes, Jesus models to us to seek to accept it and find its redeeming potential. In relation to suffering for our faith, as, as Stephen, our rector, says so well, our passion is what we're prepared to suffer for. And Jesus' passion was to set creation free. And so in his suffering, he could take joy in what was set before him. And Paul, too, discovers joy in his suffering. He finds freedom there. You see, those New York thieves, they wanted Jesus without his suffering. But we must never unbolt Jesus from the cross. What is the cross without Jesus? Darkness, violence, the triumph of evil, death is the end. What is Jesus without the cross? Love abstracted from suffering, a kind of gossamer saviour. And what is jesus on the cross love overcoming darkness violence sin and death so we don't take up our cross in a vacuum but we do it to follow jesus and our greatest danger is to refuse to shoulder that cross to say i'm saved that's not what taking up my cross means i'm saved I've received my salvation. There's nothing more to be done. As if the cross has no further traction in my life. And I shudder to think about how often I've done this. Going back to the cross as a kind of automatic slot machine to get my next dosing of forgiveness. Living in a place of cheap grace, Not carrying a cross on my back, but carrying a free get-out-of-jail card in my back pocket. No, Jesus says, follow the narrow way. Take up your cross. It's a narrow way, but it's a wonderful way. Because it's the way of love. It's the way that you give yourself away for others. Because it's the way that kills the old man or woman and raises you to new life because it's the way you accompany Jesus in his sufferings and you join with him in glory. If you take up your cross, you will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. If. It's a short word, a tiny word, but it's a tipping point word. The cross is the crux. The cross is the crossroads. The cross is the call for us to ascend the hill of the Lord or embrace a life of spiritual self-comfort. And the cross divides people. The rich young man came eagerly to Jesus to give of himself, but he went away sad. He went away an admirer, but not a follower. Let me finish with another youth who was 19 years old in 1719. And he entered an art gallery one day in Dusseldorf, and he sat down before a painting entitled "Ecce Homo, the words of Pilate presenting Jesus to the crowd. And the picture depicted the bound Jesus on his way to the cross, looking out of the picture at the young man. And the young man looked long and deep into Jesus' eyes, And the painting looked long and deep back into his. And under the painting was a couplet, and it said this, All this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? And when the sun set and night came, that 19-year-old man was still sitting there in front of the cross sobbing out his eyes and his devotion. Jesus hadn't just saved his soul, Jesus had conquered his heart. And that day, the young Count Zinzendorf chose to take up his cross. He didn't do it to live a life of meaning and purpose and world-changing influence. He just did it in the moment because it was the honest personal response that he had. But that was the impact because he went on to become part of a world-changing revival in Central Europe and to be part of sending out Moravian missionaries across the world to spread the gospel. Are you an admirer of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? Jesus looked at his disciples and he loved them And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Amen. Let's stand. If the band would like to come back. Let's just open ourselves before God and invite his Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. We welcome your presence, Lord Jesus. And we look to you Thank you for what you've done for us and thank you for how you call us. Help us to follow you more nearly. And it's been said that when a great moment comes in a person's life, it, a, no, a great knocking on the door it's often no more than a, a beating of the heart and it's easy to miss it. But I've really be- felt pre- preparing this in this last week, I felt that the Lord wants to just invite people tonight to, to respond to this call, to take up your cross, whatever that means to you. So, Lord, would you come by your Holy Spirit and meet each one of us and give us the grace and the equipping to do that. Come, Holy Spirit. To sing now, but later there's going to be a time where there'll be an opportunity to come and just be prayed for by the prayer ministry team. If you, if you, if that's you, if you feel your, your heart thumping, if you feel that's a call on your life right now, to come and be prayed for. Because we can't do this by ourselves. We need the spirit and the equipping grace of God.